Broadcasting from Orchard Park, New York, and Boca Raton, Florida, you are listening to Freight 360. Whether it's breaking news, tips to increase your business, or just some good old sports talk, this podcast is all about having a conversation about the world of freight. I'm your host, Nate Cross. And Benjamin Kowalski. Let's talk freight. All right, welcome back for episode 77 of Freight 360. Ben, lucky 77. Looking forward to it, man. We've got a lot of great stuff this morning. Come we a do. long way from episode one. <laughs> yeah, you're right. So today's topic is going to be all about prospecting and, you know, doing it with a purpose and some tips and tricks on it. Um, but first, if you're a first time listener, make sure to hit that subscribe button. We're on iTunes. We're on Stitcher. We're on, I don't know, where else? Pandora. Pandora, Spot, no, Spotify, Apple, Stitcher. Spotify, SoundCloud. You name yeah. it. We're syndicated, man. Self-syndicated. So good stuff. We got a, we got over 45,000 downloads at this point. We're hitting that 50K milestone in the Half a century mark right around the yeah. corner. Yep. Uh, leave that review as well. The, the five-star review helps us rank higher on the charts and, charts and iTunes, and that will help get us out to all the other folks in the industry, which you can also just refer us to. So make sure to you know, keep sharing us and share the love and get, get a hold of us directly. Let us know what you want us to talk about. Um, you can email us directly. You can either email admin at freight360.net or you can email Ben or myself. It's Benjamin at freight360.net or Nate at freight360.net. Let us know what you want to hear and we will make sure to get it into the, the future episodes. Um, we we got to talk about a little bit of sports update here, Ben. It's a sad Tiger Woods. Sad week. For Thoughts and prayers. Yeah. Going out to Mr. Woods out in California in a really pretty horrific accident yesterday. Yeah. So the, you know, if you want to hunt the good stuff, he's, he's alive and, and he's going to be just fine. It sounds like it's going to be, uh, you know, months, you know, with the road to recovery and whatnot had broken both of his legs and man, that car was just mangled in the front end, but Hey, honestly, they must have some good safety features. And, you know, he, the, the amount of, the amount of flips and everything that he had, if you look at the, you know, kind of what they're saying happened, you got to be just, he's blessed to have only broken his legs. Uh, absolutely. And ironically, I saw that vehicle for the first time last night. My family and I were running errands. We were on the way to the grocery store and one drove past me. It was the first time I'd ever seen it. I, not to get off topic, but the vehicle he crashed is a beautiful car. That 221, you know, the new Genesis. Genesis. Yeah. Like I thought it was a Bentley SUV and then it pulled up next to me. I was like, that's a Honda. That's the sharpest looking Honda I ever seen. And yeah. apparently it's not lacking in safety features. Well, that's when, so Genesis, was it, is it Hyundai's uh, luxury, line, luxury right? brand? Yeah. So like you figure sedan. like, you know, they used to just have the Genesis and then they made the whole new brand, but, and that was the, honestly, that, that was the um, match or the tournament that he was. Yep. And that's why he was driving one. He yeah. was on his way to the Hyundai Genesis event and uh, at the Riviera country club out in Palisades. Yeah. And well, the event already happened. Wasn't it? He was doing some video shoots or something like that. Afterwards. Yeah, he's doing a thing for I don't know if it was considered the Golf Digest piece, but he has a contract where he's, you know, doing a lot more videos and they're producing some things. And he was teaching, um, I think, Jada Pinkett Smith and a couple other celebrities just doing some instructional stuff out there. Yeah, and that's where he was on his way to. Yikes, man. Seven something in the morning. Uh, so, windy but, road. That's yeah, crazy. 
injuries. I mean, they said they, they won't know what actually caused it, but you know, he was traveling at least, you know, around 80 miles per hour in that 45 mile per Ooh. hour zone. Wow. I didn't know that part. Significantly what, higher. What surprised me. They said that that vehicle has a black box in it. Is that's yep. not common for a car, is it? I don't know because the thing is I actually, my vehicle has one and they explain it to me. Mine also has the autonomous driving feature. And they said, actually like mine has a little camera. So if you do fall asleep when the autonomous driving feature is, it not only notices that it will contact the police and record everything that happens. So I think it's becoming more and more common. So what, what are you, you're driving a Genesis? No. What do you got? I have a BMW X5 2020. so there you go. The, the, a lot of cool technology and stuff and vehicles making stuff safer. And I, you know, honestly, when I worked for Conway Freight before the XBO buyout, we had the in-cab in cameras that would record the driver and ahead of them um, if there was a triggering incident like a hard break or an accident or something like that. So good to see safety stuff all around. The only cool camera that my car has is it looks forward and it detects rain. It detects rain, I think. So it automatically turns on the wipers. I don't know. So. <laughs> what a, and, and like the, the auto like high beams, but yeah, I don't have anything staring at me while I'm driving. So come a but, long way from when we both started driving. <laughs> <laughs> yep. Oh yeah. My, my first car was a early nineties Ford Taurus and the, like the windows didn't even all work on it. So yeah. Improvements, improvements, man. Good stuff. But yeah. Thoughts and prayers going out to the woods and his family. Hopefully as a, obviously as speedy a recovery as you can, we're all pulling for him. I mean, I think there's a lot yep. of support for him out there, regardless of what his past transgressions were. Yeah, absolutely. So good luck, Tiger. We hope to see you recover soon. So we're going to get into a good episode on prospecting today, but first we got to mention our friends over at DAT. Take the guesswork out of freight with DAT. The DAT load board network is the largest on-demand freight marketplace in North America, connecting freight brokers with available capacity on any lane. And it really is any lane. Grow your business with tools that allow you to find new business partners. Plus you can quickly qualify and onboard new carriers. And with the industry's leading freight data, you can make clear and confident pricing decisions. I'm actually really excited to, you know, with the development of more of our content this year, to really peel back the layers of the onion on DAT's rating tools. I, I personally love them. So now Freight360 is partnering with DAT to offer your first month for free. Get the tools you need to move more freight at www.freight360.net to learn more. There's also links in the show notes, Dat Power, Trucker's Edge, and Dat Express. So I'm a power guy myself. It's going to be good stuff though. I, I really, I dig those tools, the carrier onboarding, the, uh, the rating tools, the posting, the alerts, good stuff. So, yeah. So, uh, yeah, prospecting, man. prospecting with a purpose, right? And I think a lot of people are going to assume that purpose just means intent, means more money and means more customers, which is Clearly one of the goals, why everybody gets out of bed in the morning, why anybody is in this industry, you go to work to make money, right? But I want to talk about a different purpose and a purpose in regards to how you can, in some ways, make this more enjoyable, but also make the aspect of prospecting more fun and something to look forward to. And I kind of want to start with, Nate, how did you learn about some of the niches that you now understand and think back on through your career? Some of the areas where you've got some specific expertise, where did that information come from? How did you develop those? Dude, that's a great question. Um, so 
I came into the third party logistics world with a very limited knowledge of full truckload because I knew LTL. That was my bread and butter. So as I got exposed to the different parts of the marketplace, it was a lot of it was curiosity for me and what kind of piqued my interest. That's where I started to do a lot of my my own research and I asked a lot of questions to people that knew what they were talking about. So um, some of the most valuable ways that I found to learn about different niches in the marketplace or different types of freight that's moved, like I said, if it piqued my interest, it could be a phone call with a prospect or with an existing agent that I was working with or an in-person conference that we were doing. I would spend as much time as I could just picking their brain and and learning from them on their expertise. And then, you know, years and years goes by and I get more and more involved in it day to day. Then I start to become an expert in a lot of different things and I can share that with others. So for me, it really came down to just exposure over time and whatever piqued my interest, I got curious about it. And that's so great. And I, I couldn't have planned this better if I would have given you that question before the episode, right? So one of the things that um, we've learned through research and study with human beings is that the things we're interested in stick. That is yeah. the things that you are inquisitive, want to ask or want to learn about that you're actually interested in, you're way more likely to remember those things. So one of the things that also you had said was, you know, where you were interested, you went and spoke to people that knew more about it than you, right? Now, we talk about this quite often. What is everybody's favorite topic? Talking about themselves. Talking about right? themselves, right? <laughs> and what they do, right? what matters to them, how their day is, how their job is, right? And I think this gets lost a lot. It gets lost with brokers' intention on wanting to know what they care about, right? How many loads are you shipping? Are you a full truckload? Do you use brokers? How much LTL are you doing? All the questions that we know the standard brokers ask, right? But we also know through a lot of research is that people only do business with who they know, like, and trust. Now, you're certainly not getting somebody to know, like, or trust you by asking questions that are important to you. But we also know if we ask them questions that are important to them, they're more likely to talk about them because they enjoy talking about themselves. But as you're asking those questions, one, you're building rapport just by sparking that conversation and then listening. And when yeah. you tie that with the other thing, what you just brought up is when you're interested in it, and they've got the answers and the expertise because they live this industry. This is what they do all day, right? And you're genuinely intrigued and inquisitive and asking about this. It creates this perfect situation where the people you're trying to reach out to, to prospect, can be your best resources in actually learning about these niches and businesses, right? Yeah, they have the I, I agree. But and so the, many people skip that, right? Yeah, I, I agree. Going back to what you said about asking questions about them or, you know, what they want to talk about versus what you want to talk about. One of the things I always find is a good way to, I guess, take the heat off your back when it comes to that, that first cold call. I love to ask people just to kind of tell me the story of how they got into the, the job that they're in, like what, what led them there. And some people are, you know, you can tell right away if they're closed up and you're like, all right, this call is not going to go far. But the majority of people, they'll go on and on and on 10, 15, 20 minutes and you get their life story about how they started working at, you know, American Eagle when they were in I don't know, 11th grade. And then they went and worked at a gas station. And then, you know, 12 jobs later, they had a buddy that worked in trucking and or in shipping mm -hmm. and whatever. It's like, Oh, cool. I, you know, I've, I just kind of wanted to know how you got into your role, but people love to talk about that. And it gives you a really good 
a really good idea of the scope of their life and what motivates them and really, you know, a lot of the things that influence them. Huge, right? And you're building rapport and trust along the way, right? They're talking and we talk, we say this often. I mean, probably in every episode, right? People are never going to remember what you said, but they're always going to remember how you made them feel. And how do you feel when you get off the phone and any one of your friends or family that you speak to on a regular basis and you just vent and talk about everything that was on your mind and you get that off your chest, they might not say anything, but just being there and listening, right? When you get off that call, you feel better. Yeah, you get that. Ah, oh, I feel so much better. That kind of feeling. Yeah. And that's what we're trying to replicate, right? But we don't need to be artificial about it. We can be genuine about it. And that's what we're going to talk about in this episode is how do you take all of these things that individually work and create a scenario that is enjoyable for everybody so that you're not avoiding this because it's the worst part of your day or the week, right? So back to what we were talking about, what we're interested in is the place where you want to start. And that's literally thinking through what it is you're interested in. Because the great part about this industry is that everything that you see or involved in at some point got to you on a truck or trans was transported in a truck, right? So let's say maybe your hobby is cycling and you just love road biking and that's your passion and that's what you do, right? Well, there are tons of prospects even within that industry, right? Whether it's the accessories, whether it's the bike frames, whether it's the tires, whether it's the helmets, whether it's the gear that you read about in your spare time and your Instagram feed, whatever that is, right? Stick with what you're interested in because how much more enjoyable is it when you're prospecting something in your spare time you want to learn about anyway? That's 100% true. And I, I think that I would challenge everybody to think about what that you know, what that handful of interests are. If you don't have any, you might not be meant for sales overall because you probably just can't hold a conversation um, or be a problem solver for that matter. But you think of, it could be anything. I mean, we talked in the past about folks that worked on farms in the past, right? Yep. They've probably got some experience with produce and farming. Folks that worked at a brewery or at a, a any kind of place that dealt with bulk amounts of uh, bottled products, right? That's a start. People that enjoy sports and football. I've got I've got uh, agents that have done le- lots of moves for college athletic facilities and um, even the the na- the NCAA national football championship back in January. We had we were moving like special like executive chairs for that. Like and stop for that a second. Think how cool that is for that agent, right? Like yeah. literally looking forward to getting out of bed in the morning because like he gets to be a part of something he looks forward to seeing on the weekends, right? Like that's the highlight of your, I don't want to say your career, but it's certainly something that you're looking forward to when you get to speak to these people, right? Yeah. Literally getting the supplies to these events that you're excited to follow or participate in or go to, right? Yep. And if you're like, let's say you're the kind of person that just absolutely hates doing home projects or working on your house or building stuff, you probably don't want to get involved in lumber or steel because it's just the, the concept of what it represents to go and build a big facility or structure doesn't excite you or interest you. It's probably not the niche you want to go after. Right. So what are some simple things that you can do literally right now? Whether you pull out your iPhone and do a voice recorder after or you sit down with a piece of paper, think back through and literally list out the jobs you've had in your life. It was the first thing I did. Um, literally wrote down every job that I'd had. And then I thought about the people and the interesting things about each one of those industries. That's a great place to start sparking some creative ideas on what these interests may be for you. Like you said, people think, oh, I was a bartender. I, I don't necessarily know how I'm going to find any prospects. Wait, what is that? 
Well, start thinking about the liquor business. Start thinking about the cash registers. Start thinking about the people you met and had interesting conversations about while you had that job. What were the things that you got engaged in? Write those things down. Start coming up with a comprehensive brainstorming list of the things that you're really interested in or the jobs you've had. Create two lists. Yep. Pick the thing that is most interesting to you and then just start researching it, right? hundred percent. And that, so you go back to like the service industry, whether it's bar, restaurant, um, whatever, you could be looking at food distribution. You could be, like you said, um, it could be liquor and beer. Like we do plenty of that at Pierce. Um, it could be the renovation or the construction of a new facility and all the building that goes into it and the, the signs, the POS systems, like you mentioned, um, the lighting, there's a lot that goes into that. And there's even a, you know, there's a, a small, you know, not full truckload version of that. It could be LTL, it could be uh, sprinter vans or box trucks for the little, um, little types of deliveries like that. There's all kinds of stuff that goes into it. So I think you just, yeah, like I, I like that. The write down your list of jobs and what did you like and what did you not like? It's good. Yeah. Now, and, and this really kind of came from, right? Like it's, you know, they say, if you enjoy what you do, you never work a day in your life. And if you can tap into that passion that you have, that you feel is ancillary or separate to your job and bring that into your job, that's that first step in being able to bring these two things together, right? So brings us to our next topic, right? Where to start? How do you batch your prospects? What is, what is, how would you do, what do you do with your next step, right? So let's say we've got a topic and I'm just going to kind of walk through what one of them was for me and how I came about just coming up with the idea and running with it. So for me at this time, four or five years ago now, um, there was a lot in the news going on about steel tariffs, manufacturing steel in the United States versus foreign steel. There were tariffs going on, but it was in the news every day, every week, right? Somebody was talking about it. For me, that's where my interest lied. My interest lies in economics and how supply and demand works. For me, that was the most interesting thing that I was following in the news. So it made it much easier for me to prospect the things that interested me. So I went at steel, but what does that mean, right? Just saying, hey, let's start prospecting steel because there was an interesting article or an interesting scenario doesn't really help you much. So the first step is to dig into and batching your prospects, but you need to start somewhere. So I think the best place to start is just searching top 100 shippers of steel, top 100 manufacturers of steel. It literally just is your first entry point to see who the players are. So from my point of view, it's who are the big players? Who are the monsters in this industry? And then working your way all the way down to some of the smaller and regional players to just get a feel for how the industry works and who's in it, right? Some basis. And, and there's a huge importance to making, to actually making that first step of start to compile that information. Cause some people they'll, they'll just back burner, back burner and just push, kick the can down the road. Oh yeah. I'll wait till next week. Let me get through the week. Maybe on Monday I'll start. No, start today. It's like today. people, when it comes to like going to the gym, they say, um, if you, if you're, you know, if you don't know if you want to work out today or not, you're hesitant, hop in the car, drive to the gym. If you get there and you don't want to work out, turn around and go home, but you're already there. You already started, right? Yep. Same thing goes with prospecting. Start to get though, start to do your research, right? Like you said, compiling your list, batching your prospects. The first time you start to type those keystrokes into Google, you've started. And that's a huge step. Right. So 
what we're going to talk about is that one common trait, and this is something you could do with all your prospects. And this is going to make you finding that unique piece of information to connect with your prospects less cumbersome. You don't have to do it as much. For instance, a lot of people look for a prospect, spend 10 minutes to learn about the prospect, then call them. Then look for another prospect, read through their website, then call them. At that rate, you'll probably call, if you did nothing but this all day, you probably would only get to about 50 calls at most, maybe 20 or 30, right? Mm -hmm. Super time consuming. Now, what we're suggesting is you batch these together. They should be separate activities. Nobody should be researching and calling during the same window of time, the same time block. They should be separate activities because they're separate skill sets. And just like, I'll use the example of building a house. If I had you framing a wall where that is, you measure the lumber, then you cut the lumber, then you put the lumber up, then you nail the lumber, then you measure the next piece and you do all these activities, right? You don't really get more proficient in any one activity in a short amount of time. It takes much longer, right? But like in an assembly line, if I have you just nail in boards, right? By the end of the day, you'll get pretty proficient at just nailing because that's all you've done. It's the same reason why we get specialized in the economy and capitalism. Just prospect pulling your leads together as its own activity, and you will get better at that activity every day you do it. It's in its own activity, right? Yeah. Yep. So your your house building analogy, instead of the way you mentioned it before, do all your measurements, do all your cuts, do all your lay them all up and go hammer them all. Yes. I like it. And I, I, I agree with you. I would spend, you know, there's a lot to be said about how to do, you know, time management and whatnot with prospecting and sales in general. And I know some of the content we're building um, coming up later this year is going to involve a day in the life of a freight broker. And, and one of the things that I found beneficial is, and we've talked about it before, is you block off a certain amount of time and you stick to that one task during that one time. So I did like a lot of times at the end of one day, I would spend time just doing research and I would compile my list of who I wanted to call. The next morning, putting out some flyers via email, whatnot, and phone. But then late morning or mid mid afternoon, whatever it was, I was making all those phone calls. But it was, you know, it was very um, structured. It was planned out. And I had, you know, I had a plan and I followed it. And it was, it's a lot easier, like you said, to, to instead of research call, research call do all your research and then just hammer out the calls because there's a rhythm that you get into and it kind of gets yes. fun. So Absolutely. Yeah. And you expend a lot of less energy when you're not multitasking. When you are just doing one thing, your brain does not have to deal with jumping from task to task. You'll yep. actually be less tired at the end of the day. Yeah. Now, back to just one common trait, right? So instead of you researching a common trait for every one of these prospects. So what, what's a what's an example of a common trait that you're referring so to? So I'll give you two. So in steel, what I would use was just whatever was going on in the news that day. There were so many things changing every day that every day I would just look at the news, type in my Google alerts for steel and news. And there was a new article. Somebody said something within the past 24 hours that I could use for every one of those prospects that day. I had my 75 or 100 prospects lined up for that day from the day before, some of which are follow-ups, some are new calls. And then I would just use that article. Hey, I don't know. Hey, Cindy, I'm not sure if you guys caught this, but I, I noticed that they just moved forward with one of this. Did you guys catch that? So one, they feel like I'm adding value to their lives, not taking away from it. It's not me focused, it's them focused. And two, it always sparked a conversation. Yeah. Or 
at least more often than the general, hey, I read your website and you guys look like you do this. Yeah, we know. That's why it's on our website. <laughs> That's not unique. It's not differentiating you from somebody else. Yep. Somebody that is learning and is inquisitive about their profession that's how you start building rapport. That's how you get them to know, like, and trust you, right? And I'll give you another one, right? That's steel, but hey, let's say maybe your interest is in cooking and it's culinary. And you're like, hey, I cook in my spare time. That's my hobby. I read all these cookbooks and I read all these blogs. Find a food, get into food distribution. Maybe in that industry, it was, hey, I saw an article that green onions spoiled and somebody got sick out of Nogales. Everybody in the restaurant in the food business is going to be interested in that topic. You could use that to basically prospect anybody in the food industry. Yeah. There's information is everywhere. All it takes is the intention to sit down and to try to pull it together. So let me ask you about this one. This is, it's a lit, it's similar, but a little bit different. One of the things that I used to do was try to find, um, and not even freight related, but just a common interest that I would have with the prospect. And I would use LinkedIn for this. So um, yes, you can search by company or by job title. Um, but myself, I always love talking about military service, being a military guy myself. So I would find folks out of the tens of thousands that were, you know, prospect candidates, I would also add a filter on someone that was in the military. Right. And it's a great way, not just as a conversation starter, but a good way to build rapport with them because you have something in common. Another thing was like just different sports teams that you like. And that's a great way to just have some common ground. Or where you or where you guys went to college? Um, yeah. I use those constantly on LinkedIn. Finding some common thing that you have to be able to apply it against your entire batch of calls is all you're looking for. That common yep. thread. It can be industry specific. It can be commodity specific. I mean, we don't. I don't really want to go off on this tangent, but if you're batching prospects, you can also do it by region. Like, let's just say you're like, I don't really know what that is, and I want to get some calls out. Southern California, they've been tight on capacity since the pandemic started. You could pull all of your prospects together in Southern California and talk to every single one of them about the article that I'm sure was posted yesterday in Freight Waves about what was going on in the capacity. There's tons of stuff out there. It's just you sitting down to literally think about how you're going to pull these together, what you want to learn about, and then finding that thing that you're going to be able to talk to or bring value to them about. That's the key takeaway, right? Yeah. Next piece, right? Going back to the analogy in our original conversation, right, was how you learned your niches, right? Was by what you were interested in. But think about it in another way. How do you then string what you learn from one person to the next thing? And we're going to kind of call this following the clues. So guess what? Rather than applying what I think I know to everybody and hoping they fit in that category, I am going to go and approach every prospect with an open mind to approach the conversation to genuinely learn about their job, right? Not, not secret, not complicated. We've talked about that. But what I'm going to do after that is I'm following what they're saying, not like a predetermined list of questions. So if he starts talking about how he got into the steel industry and what he did before that, I'm going to let the conversation go where he's going, where his interests lie and just keep asking him second, third, and fourth level questions on the same topic. So maybe he said, you know, I really got into steel because, you know, my brother-in-law was in it. My family grew up in the steel mills in Pittsburgh. I'm going to keep asking him questions about the steel industry. Tell me a little bit more about that. Tell me about your grandfather. Tell me about how you got into this industry. Tell me a little bit about where you guys source your material from. 
I want his insight into one, who they ship to and who they ship from, not in a per load basis, but just a conversation. Like, who do you guys do business with? Yeah, big, your big customers. stuff. Yep. Right. Because you think back to when you were doing this, you're like, hey, I found somebody that knew this and you keep asking them questions. And as you learn more, your knowledge base grows, which means that after you get off the call with the first person, you should be having a much more informed conversation with the second person you speak with and then the third and then the fourth. So by your second or third day of prospecting, whatever this niche is for you, you should be understanding and learning from every person you've talked to. So by Wednesday or Thursday or Friday of that week, you really got your arms around who the players are, who ships to who, who really is LTL, where the full truckloads are coming from, who the big suppliers are, who the smaller suppliers are, who needs their freight just in time, and who can wait a week and it doesn't make any difference if their loads come, right? Yeah. But this is where that information comes from, right? It's not just a coach. It's not just a mentor. You can literally do it with the intention of learning from the people you want to be working with anyway. It's a very good point. So kind of coming back, right? And we talk more about like what interests are and what some people can do. What are some common prospecting mistakes that you've come across in your career that you've seen through your agents and the people you've worked with, Nate? Um. I'm going to take two stabs at this. The The first one is not prospecting enough or at all for that matter. Yep. Uh, actually, I'm not going to limit it to just two because there's a whole bunch of them. So the, the level of activity is one big part of it. Another a caveat to that is going to be the method of the prospecting. So some someone might just do cold calling and someone might just do emailing and someone might you know, just do in-person. The The in-person prospecting local companies alone always pisses me off because I'm like, why does somebody think they're going to actually succeed when their competitors are prospecting the entire country? But they're like, oh, I live in the middle of Wisconsin. I'm going to strictly prospect my zip code. It's like, dude, you're limiting yourself so much. Um, so, and in addition to that is they don't want to learn or be coached by somebody else on different ways to think about how to prospect. So for example, um, if you're struggling, you hit a wall, you're, you're failing, not asking for help or even worse, being offered help or advice and rejecting it. So um, the, another, another thing too would be is how you're actually sourcing your leads. So somebody might strictly go with, um, you know, the, the blue book, the get a bunch of produce customers or something like that. And that's all they use is the blue book. Someone else might only use directories from online. I think the more data you have access to and the more information, the better. So, I mean, there's a, there's a whole bunch of prospecting issues that I've seen people run into and then not following up. I mean, these can all be their own episode. There are so many different mistakes that people make. But I think at the end of the day, the more you do it, the more open you are to learn and get feedback from others, the better you're going to be overall down the road. It's a, it's a constant growth and developmental process. Absolutely. And let's go through some of these just one by one, because you kicked off some really good ones. I was writing them down as you were going through. It. So one, <laughs> I was like, I'm going to give you two that I was like, bam, 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 rapid five. <laughs> but one, like, let's just look at activity, right? Activity. I, nobody's telling you what you have to do. If you're in this business, you're getting into it. If you well, own the business. depends who you work for, but. Well, touche. Most companies don't. What I'm going to say is what I've seen work and what I've seen not work throughout my career. What I've seen work, the people that make 80 to 100 consistent calls a day 
I've seen one person out of the thousands I've seen put that level of effort and not succeed. Literally one person. And it was, they went on to become successful in another sales career. It just wasn't a fit for them in freight. There was a lot that they just, just wasn't a fit. But literally one in thousands I've seen put that level of effort and activity in and not succeed. Now, on the other hand, I see constantly people trying to find easier ways or to be able to, my dad always used to say, everybody wants to go to heaven, but nobody wants to die, right? Everybody wants this successful business to be able to live the life that they've dreamed of, but very few people are willing to put in what's necessary to get it, right? And what's necessary is consistent activity for one. What's necessary is more than 40 calls a day. If you are new to this and you're expecting to be able to be successful in this industry, that is your minimum, 40 a day, especially when you're starting. Because there's just, it's such a competitive industry. So many people are competing for the same business that it's saturated. The people you're trying to reach are being contacted by your competitors. You need to reach somebody between nine and 12 times sometimes before they even speak to you. And then the average follow-ups required to close a customer is between the same amount, nine and 12. When you put those two things together, you might call a prospect 40 times before they become a customer. Yeah. It's not uncommon. And let's, let's put this into perspective. So put yourself in the customer's shoes. If they're getting hit up by broker after broker after broker every day, and most of those people don't even make the second call, if they don't recognize who you are, you're not going to... They're not going to remember you. They're not, you're not going to stay at the top of their mind. But if you make that ninth, 10th and beyond call, you eventually become that person that is consistent. And they're like, I recognize the voice. I recognize the name. I recognize the company that he, that he or she works for. You start to become familiar to them. So they and become that's a to huge know point. you. And why that actually works. I'm reading a great book by this guy named Dr. Cialdini. He outlines the six principles of persuasion like reciprocity, scarcity, authority, consistency, liking. Liking is the principle you're talking about. The more they hear your name, the more they're familiar with it. The more they've seen an email with your name on it or your company's name, the more they become familiar with it. The more you've spoken to them, the more incremental times you've spoken to them, the more they're familiar, the more they tell themselves psychologically that they're comfortable enough to actually trust you with their business. That's just part of the game, right? Now, to the second one that you brought up, and I think they're very closely tied and for some reasons, like just going face-to-face by region. Now, one of the most common reasons I see people prospecting face-to-face, what do you think? What do you think the most common reason is that people do that versus phone prospecting? That they go face-to-face? Yeah, that they go drive around and knock on doors. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to give you two answers. I think the first so one answer that I know is that they're afraid to hop on the phone and call someone that they don't see and they just, they're going to limit their activity. But the other one is they fear first one, what you just said, right? Fear of known rejection and calling somebody they don't know and feeling awkward fear. And I think the second one is some, some really good salespeople. They know that if they get in front of somebody, the, the chance of rejection is going to be way, way lower. And Same I think as, you can build a lot. You can build some really, really good rapport in person. Absolutely. It's just, not, it's just not a very efficient way to do all of your prospecting. So that's the, the thing that I think is the most overall important aspect of this is absolutely doing business face-to-face is part of this industry. It should be in the mix, but I wouldn't advise it's the only thing you do for exactly the reason you said. It is not efficient 
if I drove around to talk to people all day long, the most I'm probably going to get to is maybe a half dozen to a dozen a day. And I've yep. done, done this. I've literally worn out my shoes, door knocking. I've gone through this in the business world. It's arduous and it's time consuming and it's not efficient at all. Now, if you've got a healthy mix, you can make that work. If you're calling 40, 50 people a day and then you're scheduling times to go out and actually meet these people face-to-face after you've spoken to them a few times, now you've got a mix. Now you're yeah. setting appointments. Now you've got a healthy... I've got, a, I've got an add-on, a little tip. This is a good takeaway. So I'll give you a, a story that something that I did personally. If you are in your prospecting phase and let's say there's one of your prospects that maybe you're not getting any business out of, but you can have a good conversation, a good phone call with them, and they're somewhat regional or local to you. Take that as an opportunity to go visit them and be able to learn about their business. And here's why. So in the past, I worked with folks that a lot of produce potatoes being one of them. So there's a potato farm about an hour south of where I live. And when the agent came in town, we took a drive down there, went out to the farm, got to see the entire process of how from growing to storing, how they can temperature freeze them to last for so long, and then how they eventually become potato chips. And it blew my mind to get to see that process. And we weren't even getting any freight from them, but to be able to see that firsthand gave me enough knowledge and that experience alone to be able to then relate to other people that do the exact same thing. So now that's I've seen it firsthand. so cool. Right. And that's what we're talking about. Right. It, it should remind you of when you're in elementary school and it reminded me when you said the Snyders, I went to the Hanover um, tour in Pennsylvania when I was a kid and we saw how they made pretzels. And then we went to the Hershey factory to see how that, right. That genuine interest and intrigue that you had as a child is what we're talking about. If you can recultivate how cool it was when you were sitting as a kid watching Mr. Rogers and watching them do those little short little videos on how something's made. Yeah. That's what you get to do now. And if you can tap back into that curiosity, that sense of wonderment and really enjoy and be intrigued in these things, that's, this is the name of the game. That's literally yep. what we're talking about. And a lot time. of these businesses, they're open to it. So I, I got to tour the, we have a local Ford plant here in Western mm-hmm. New York. I got to go see that. It's a stamping plant. So I got to see the steel coils coming in and um, how they press them to make doors and stuff like that. I got to go to a, uh, a company that produced certain kinds of bread on a massive level and how it went from the dough to the oven to being packaged and then shipped out. It's really cool stuff. What I would tell you is don't spend all your time doing that. But if you, if you could do like a couple of those a month or even just a couple a quarter, it's a really, really good way to just get out there and remember that you got to take yourself out of the freight broker chair. That's just behind the, behind the computer and on the phone, put yourself in their shoes, the folks that are actually giving you freight. So like another large customer that we worked with that was local, got to go in there probably once a month or every couple of months. And they did uh, heat exchangers, which are huge, massive items, depending on you know what it's designed for, but flatbed freight. And to get to see that facility and how small that the actual transportation piece was in all of it, it kind of put into perspective is that there's one dude sitting in a little uh, toll booth size. Like a guard shack. Yeah, and, but he was inside the plant yeah. they, scheduling all the pickups and deliveries because they had indoor loading for their flatbeds because the stuff couldn't get wet. And they didn't want to deal with, you know, mm-hmm. outdoor loading and tarping and all that. But to be able to see like, wow, there's for, for the one guy that works in transportation, 
there's 250 others that don't give a crap about how it's getting shipped. They just want to make sure they get shipped. That's it. So it gives you perspective and it helps you understand what that person does day to day in their job. Which is so big, right? And and when you couple these things together, right? Let's just say you've been prospecting whatever your niche is all month. And you've got a handful of people you've had some really good conversations with. And you schedule maybe one or two of these. And you say, hey, you know what? I've really just enjoyed chatting with you. Not really sure that, you know, I, maybe we even work together yet, but I would really love to be able to schedule some time to see what you guys do. Is that something you guys would be open to? I got to imagine nine out of 10, if not 99 out of a hundred are going to be open to it. We'd they be love more it. than happy for you coming it over. You bring some bagels. Forever. Now yeah. that's not a sales pitch. Now that's you genuinely wanting to understand their business, what their problems are. That's how you jump the line. That's how you get what takes years to do behind a computer and on a phone much, much faster. Yeah. And then if you do that, let's say you do a quick little plant tour for half an hour or whatnot, you can start to ask all those questions that you would want to ask on a cold call, but they're more genuine and they're, they're almost just naturally weaved in. So like you, maybe there's trucks there like, ah, oh, how many do you have coming in and out every single day? Like you're just asking because you're actually there looking at it, not because you're just on the phone, you know, reading yeah. off a script. And um, what, you know, have you guys ever had a, something get loaded and damaged? And, um, you know, you know, I see all that stuff stored over there. When does that stuff go out? Where does well, it here's come the from? Thing. It's all really Even cool if you're stuff. talking to these people, let's just play that all the way out. Just like you said, let's say you're meeting Jim and Jim's the one loading that at this place you happen to be visiting and Jim, maybe it's over the phone, maybe it's in person, but he's telling you about the stuff that actually happens with their products, what they're concerned with, what they work on, right? And we haven't asked him about doing business with them anything. We're just talking to him to understand that industry, that niche, right? Now, my next phone call I now have all of these stories to use. Tons. Right? Oh, yeah. All of these stories. Fully armed. Hey, Paul, you know what? I was talking with, you know, another guy in your industry, Jim. He was telling me they constantly have products damaged because of this and that. That is going to spark that next conversation immediately. You yep. are now speaking their language. Your ability to generate rapport, get them to know you, get them to trust you, right, is just so much higher. Yep. So, and let's, let's, I'm going to reel it back in here a little bit. Not everyone can do the in-person visits, especially with the current pandemic situation, yeah. but there's alternative ways to do this, right? It could be the, like I said, the phone call with the one person that was willing to talk to you all day long, even if you're not getting freight, shoot the shit, BS with them, get to understand their problems and what they have going on as feedback. The other option, watch some freaking YouTube videos on just gonna say how that. stuff is made and you'll get yeah. to, and you, it's a good talking point when you call them up. Hey, you know what that means to somebody when you said you took the time to watch a video to understand literally what they do and to just talk about how fascinating it was to you. Yeah. When you genuinely mean these things, that's how you connect with other human beings. It's when you care what they're doing, right? All the rest comes later. This is how you earn that important piece that I think is so elusive to so many people when they get into sales. There's so many, like, you know, we do our Q&A every week and we pull questions and a lot of times we get the same questions over and over. And um, I see a lot of responses to the questions where people are just salty and they're, you know, they're not passionate about their job. It's the, it's the people like that, the folks like that, that, you know, they taint the image of freight brokering because freight brokering is, is a very necessary role in our overall economy and our society. Uh, without it, we wouldn't be able to have everything moved. It's just not realistic. So 
to, you know, the, the folks that are actually passionate about what they do, they truly enjoy it. And like you said, if you love what you do, you don't feel like you work a day in your life. If that's the mentality you have and you find that in freight, you're going to be successful. Don't let anybody else that gives a, you know, oh, this is the worst job in the world. They're just grinding and hitting the phones and blah, blah. It's like, well, don't listen to them. They're, you know, they yeah. got a bad attitude. So you keep reinforcing these negative things that are surrounding yourself. You're going to feel more negative emotions. Keep reinforcing the, the positives. Yeah. And I would say, Sally, the majority of people that work in this industry have that negative mindset on, and they just, you know, either the pay is good enough or they're afraid to get a new job or make a change. Um, and a lot of them fail. A lot of the startups, they fail because they, they don't take the time to, to find their passion in it, to find their niche in it. And, you know, it's at the end of the day, they just think, oh, I can make a lot of money doing this. What's what's so hard about it? And then you realize this is my career, my livelihood. I don't enjoy it. You're not going to be motivated. Simple so, enough, right? And yeah. I, I want to kind of wrap up with one of my favorite little tips for prospecting to really make this fun. So one of it is, so you've got your list. We've talked about pull, pulling your prospects together, batching them. I'm talking about actually making the calls and not necessarily about scripts, but how you can gamify actually dialing numbers. And I didn't come up with this, but it's one of my favorite ones. It was a psychologist in the industry said, he's like, your brain works in a way that like when you do things that have sounds or are physical, like you get a sense of fulfillment or like the award sense in your brain. So for instance, like when you put a quarter in a slot machine and you pull that lever, whether you win or not is not whether or not you get a dopamine hit. You get a dopamine hit every time you drop the quarter in. It makes that sound. Yeah. And then as you pull that handle, that's what your brain registers as the reward, right? And it's just a slight shift from that same thing. But he's like, this guy suggested, and I've done this. It's it's awesome. Like you take a metal bucket. I have it right next to my desk. And you buy, I buy a hundred quarters. So you get a couple rolls of quarters, right? And every time you make a prospecting dial, whether or not they answer or not, toss a quarter into that metal bucket. And it makes that sound just like when the quarters come out of the machine, right in that metal bucket, that cling sound that starts training your brain to enjoy. Like every Pavlov's kind of- dog. Exactly. <laughs> and what happens is every time you do it, it genuinely gives you a little dopamine hit because it gives you a sense of accomplishment. So I would start out with the amount of calls I wanted in quarters. So it's 40 for the morning, right? And you just toss one in that every time you make a call all morning until your quarters are done. But what happens is your brain, you literally get the same dopamine hit like when your phone alerts you because somebody liked a post you made. That's the same principle. Facebook knows it. That's how they get you to go back. So does LinkedIn and Instagram and every other notification on your phone. This is a way to use that same principle to make money, not to just spend time uselessly, right? So one of the things that I used to do is at a group team setting, we all worked on the same team. We got paid commission monthly, but whenever somebody landed a new client, we would ring a cowbell, like legitimately SNL style, ding, 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 ding. And, and that just got everyone pumped up. And the other part to it was commission day. It was always a Friday. We would go out to get, you know, drinks or food or whatever. And we would all talk about, we were open about, it. we just said like, Hey, here's how much business I did this month. And we could all calculate whatever the commission would be. But it, it almost gave it like a little bit of competition and nobody wanted to be that bottom, bottom earner. So it kind of got you fired up and, but we all, we just kept it fun and light. And, you know, it, we, it was it, just the camaraderie overall, when you surround yourself with people that are, that are succeeding at what you do, it just makes everybody better. So just that motivation overall, I think really, really helps. Plus you can ask them like, Hey, what were you doing that made you successful? And you just kind of bounce ideas off each other. I think that's a great way. We always say, learn from people that are already doing it well 
and take what you think you can do well from them. And maybe things you don't like, you know, you don't have to emulate exactly. So, but just be networked with other people doing the same thing as you. And speaking of what you just said, we didn't mention in this episode yet, but we're going to be putting together or Nate and I have been brainstorming how to pull together a community of our listeners for that same purpose, for you guys to ask questions of us and of each other. If you're interested in doing something like that, complimentary, free of cost, if we put a group together, email either Nate or myself or admin at freight360.net. And we're going to try to pull together and see exactly how many people we have interested and try to put something together where we can create some of this camaraderie amongst our listeners and some of the people that, you know, own their business and are maybe, you know, solopreneurs that want some other people to be able to bounce ideas off of. There is no greater benefit in business. I mean, I, I'm just kind of saying this shooting from the hip because I could be wrong. There's no greater benefit in business than having a strong network of other people around you, even if you can, you know, potentially are competitors, just to, to, to be connected and network with those who are succeeding around you is going to make everybody stronger because you can all learn something from somebody else. So that's my take. Ab- absolutely. Anything else on prospecting today, Ben? Yeah, I think we're good, man. I think we've covered quite a bit. I mean, prospecting with a purpose, how to be able to pull these things together, add some things in your life that you're interested in to take what is, I think, oftentimes the most dreaded aspect of this job, but also the most vital, right? It is the one that is going to determine whether you're not successful. Nothing else. Yep. Awesome. We got uh, got a couple of good Q&A questions here, but first we got to talk about our friends over at Lean Solutions Group, man, they have grown leaps and bounds in the past years, whether it's the sales side, the marketing side, the tech side, like we mentioned before, these folks can do a, they do a great job at setting up with an offshore, really a a nearshore, what they call it, um, back office or a dispatching team or sales team, whatever you want to do, they can fill seats specifically in the transportation and brokerage niche. They do a lot more than just transportation, but that's really where they are founded off of. And, you know, they do a, just an outstanding job at partnering you with the right people. So you can find a low cost option to do some contract work. So you're not worried about doing the hiring yourself or the interviewing yourself or, you know, firing or how do I find these people? So check them out. It's at leangroup.com. Again, that's leangroup.com. They're down in Colombia, South America. Ben, you and I got to make a trip down there at some point. And, you know, Trey tells us great things about Colombia. I'm excited. So, but check them out, leangroup.com. All right. We got three so questions. Trending here. social media topics. Yeah. So, first one. Uh, first one. Uh, somebody asked about manual track and trace versus the automated system, asking what's better. Specifically, he said, like, you know, what's the difference between me making calls versus a system just doing it, which would probably cost less? And I think there's a, there's a place for both, right? And it comes down to that. For example, if it's time critical and it's going to involve some sort of human analysis, you need a human, right? Yep. Just because someone gets a location update does not necessarily tell them what time it's going to show up because they don't know the hours of service that person has, what kind of weather they're running into, if they had a, you know, a breakdown, you know, that's there's pros and cons to anything automated versus the human touch. And I think you're going to see that in just about any, any part of the industry, whether it's track and trace or, um, you know, any operational tool. I mean, it's just 
there's something about a human that you can't rep- replicate except for in the movies, apparently. But uh, yeah, I think it's the same thing. It's the subjective, the opinion piece, the ability to build rapport, to talk to these people, to be able to do some of the things that just the location when that's not enough information, you need the other pieces. How like, think about this. You call a customer service line when a human being picks up versus hello, my name is so-and-so I can comprehend full sentences. It's like, I don't want to talk to a freaking computer. First thing I do, zero, operator, 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 operator. And I hope it picks that up and then (laughs) kicks me over to the actual representative, representative, representative. It sounds like you want to be connected to a representative. Did I hear it correctly? So yeah, that's that's your big difference. All right, next question. Uh, Man, this one comes up too much. I'm considering starting a brokerage with no experience. Where do I start? Uh, Freight360.net. Take yeah. a look at all the free resources we've had. Reach out to both of us, yep. and I, I'm gonna, I'm gonna highly recommend that you align yourself with somebody that's already successful at it. And whether that means they're gonna mentor you, or they're gonna hire you for a little bit, or you're gonna work for free for them for a little bit, I don't care. You've got to have someone in your corner, right? And then obviously, you know, we ha- we offer the the educational and knowledge piece behind all of it, but you've got to connect yourself with the right people to be successful. If you have no knowledge of the industry and no experience, where you start is to get that knowledge and get some experience. That's really it. I wouldn't recommend that you just go to the FMCSA website and figure out how to set up a brokerage because you're probably going to fail. Most do. So get educated, connect with someone who's a, a pro already and either work for them or you know have them mentor you. Um, here's a great one. Someone asked, I was offered a 5% commission as an agent and we'll have to sign a non-compete. Does that sound right? And she went on to, to talk about how a, a woman was basically branching off on her own to start her own brokerage and wanted to have independent agents. And she offered this girl an agent opportunity or an agency opportunity. And was like, yeah, I'll pay you 5%. Non-compete, you'll have to sign it. I'm just like, that is a worse payout than a lot of W two roles. Yeah, that's really that include really a base low. salary with them. So, yeah. um, I mean, I usually see five percent. I mean, for newer brokers, I mean, at least on top of a salary, thirty five or forty grand, right? Yeah. Depending on where you are in the country. Yeah, for sure. So, if you're an independent agent, you should be, you know, fifty to seventy percent is pretty common. Um, if you have an established book of business. You already know how to broker freight. There's no reason that you should get paid less than 70%. You should have no fees. You shouldn't pay for anything. And you should never have to sign a non-compete. You are an independent contractor, not an employee. There's a very, very fine line that separates those two. And the legal system has time and time again, cited on the side of the independent contractor when it comes to that. So. What a great question. Ask around, get a couple more offers. Like yep. anything else, right? Get get a couple, get a couple other, reach out to a couple other companies or a couple other brokerages and shop the offer and see what else is in the market in your area. Yeah. And I mean, I'll tell you, this is, this is what I do day in and day out now. This is my, my main focus now outside of um, Freight 360 and educating is agent placement, agent development, agent growth long-term. So they're, you know, a lot, I have to turn people down a lot because they don't have a book of business or um, they never built a book of business before. Or they don't have enough experience. 
But if you are experienced and you have that book of business or you're going to start from scratch with a new book because you have a non-solicit or whatever it is, reach out to me. Happy to talk to you about what we've got to offer. And, you know, it's, it's a designed intentionally to be a good program for the agents that deserve it. So there are people that don't have a lot of experience and might not have a book. If someone's going to offer you an agent opportunity and pay you less, it might be your best opportunity or your best option. But 5%, give me a break. That's just a joke. Yeah. They're just hoping that, you know, you move at least one load and they make their, you know, make their money's worth on you. So Pretty much. Whew. What, an, what a day. What an episode, man. That was a good episode. In Florida, because, you know, here we are approaching, we're almost in March. My ice rink's starting to melt because we're above freezing today. We're, uh, we're hitting 45 here in Buffalo. It's 48 right now. High of 52 today. Not yeah, bad. a little warm came through, man. I got a puddle in my backyard. <laughs> I was, uh, we had a little cold front through the weekend, but it is 81's the high today. I'm going to probably swim some laps on my lunch break. I'm going to be heading out to the go. pool in an hour or so. Nice. Good stuff. Good stuff. Good stuff. Big, well, what, uh, any final thoughts, man? I mean, big takeaway here is if you can tie something you're interested in with something that is the thing that you're dreading, or at the very least, maybe you enjoy prospecting. It only is going to make this better. It's going to make it more yep. enjoyable. It's going to give you a reason to want to do this, right? Wanting to learn more about the industry should be the driver. What you'll end up with are more people that trust you, more people yeah. that trust you, more business, right? When you chase the dollars and the money, it's very transparent to whoever you're speaking to. They will see that. They will hear that and they will know you're out for yourself. Yep. And you'll be much less likely to ever get them to know, like, or trust you. I agree. Final thought, you know. Hey, little 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 teaser on next week. What's the episode on? We got uh we're doing another sales type of episode. We are. We're gonna have um one of my colleagues, Will Metro, on the episode. Actually, he was texting me during this episode. He's uh gonna be heading into Florida next week. So we'll be doing a three-way episode on sales. Topic TBD. Mmm, I dig it. Send your send your suggestions over ASAP because we record on Wednesdays. And remember. Yeah. Whether you believe you can or believe you can't, you're right. And until next time, go Bills. That wraps up this episode of Freight 360. Thanks for joining us. Make sure to check out all the other episodes for even more great content. Check out the show notes for links to any articles and content that we referenced on this episode. Visit us on the web at www.freight360.net. And if you'd like to learn more about a new home for your agency, contact me directly. And if you'd like to learn more about me coming out to run a free complimentary sales training for your team, check me out on LinkedIn or again at www.freight360.net.